Well, good morning again. Welcome to Missio Church. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, you, uh, turn with me to uh, Psalm 7. If you're following along with us on the Pew Bible, that is on page four, 450, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. But for anybody who knows me, my memory is garbage. So um, 450, I believe, but don't hold me to that. Um, Psalm 7, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 7, a shigion, amen, a shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all of my pursuers and deliver me, lest a lion, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I've done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let my enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves, with, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lives. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks to his righteousness, I will, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you're doing, and all that you have promised to do. We thank you that you are a Lord of justice because you are a holy God who will bring about um, both in the present um, and in the future um, all that you have declared. And we thank you that our hope um, need not be in our ability to do what is right or our ability to, um, uh, to uh, clear out our own path, but our hope is in you and your ability to, um, to save, your ability to, um, uh, to be a refuge, your ability to bring about true justice in the world. And so we thank you 
for that. Father, over the next few moments as we look intently on your word, we pray that um, by a work of your spirit that you would speak to your people, that you would convince us of the truth of your word, that you would continue to encourage us to remain steadfast and faithful to you. Lord, if there are those in this room today that need to repent of sin, that you would bring about Um, conviction of sin and that they would indeed repent. If there are those in this room today that need to place their hope in Christ, Father, we pray that they would do that and we thank you for that. And we pray this not just for us, but we pray this for every place where your people are gathered uh, throughout this city, throughout this community, throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As we look at this a particular psalm, there's two big ideas that I, I wanna um, just kinda have uh, sitting over the top of it and, um, and lay out there for you as we look at, at, at um, um, <clears throat> what, what David prays here. Um, and then we'll kinda get into the, 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 the pieces of it. Uh, the first one is this, is that this psalm is ultimately a psalm about justice. Um, and when we talk about that, we, we have each one of us, when we hear the word justice, we bring something to the table, right? Like you, you hear the word justice and you think about something, right? Uh, you, you bring your own experience to that term. Uh, you bring your own uh, understanding of what that term means. Maybe you're a lawyer. I grew up in a lawyer's house, right? So uh, people, because I grew up in a lawyer's house, people seek legal advice from me. Uh, don't do that. I don't know anything. I'm not a lawyer. Right, like uh, that's just not smart. Right, like uh, I, 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 maybe I'll start charging you uh, for that advice, uh, um, but you'd be a fool to take it. Right, like, uh, uh, but, but so we bring our understanding of justice to to that, and and what we end up doing is we take our filter of justice and we throw that down on the text right, of scripture, right? And, and, and often what happens is because we're people and we, we, um, we live uh, in light of experience, uh, which is not necessarily the way that we should uh, interpret scripture, right? Experience first, then I, I, I use that as my primary filter and I, I then view God through my experience, right? And so I see a text like this, uh, which is ultimately about justice and, and, and the way God brings about justice in the world, and I put my filter on it, which is my experience or the way that, that, that my community uh, views the world, and so therefore I'm gonna view God's justice that way. But this is, this is a text about justice, and justice in the biblical view is always about the holiness of God. It's not about the victimness or the victimhood of people and those people experiencing justice the way that they want it. It's not about a political agenda, right? It's not about an emotional plea. Biblical justice involves the holiness of God and therefore he is the true judge and the only arbiter of that justice, right? And so we have to understand that first and foremost, right? This is, this, this, this psalm begins with David, right? And, and this is the second thing, and, and, and it fits with this. It begins uh, with a personal offense, right? It, it, it begins with, with David having an accusation laid against him. But it, it moves out to a universal offense, right? That God is dealing with the sin of the wicked, 
Right? It, it, it starts with, with David's enemies saying certain things about him, and, and it, it, then, it, it, it then zooms out to the fact that, that there's sin in the world, and God is going to deal with that sin in the world. Because God deals righteously with sin and with sinners and with his people. The result of this psalm is one of praise and worship because of the activity the righteous activity of God, the only true result at the end of the psalm is David giving praise to the Lord God because of the way God deals with people, right? And, and so we're gonna see that, right? But, but, but I think there's an important note, right? So for, for, for many of us, Right? We have these experiences in our lives where people come at us or, 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 or we experience wrongs in life or maybe it's not just that we experience wrongs. Maybe we experience hardships or we experience uh, loss or difficulty or we experience uh, personal tragedy and we wanna sit there, right? And one of the things that Psalm 7 teaches us is David starts off with this hardship. We're gonna explain it in a second, but he doesn't sit there in that. Right? It starts with this idea where, where enemies are accusing him of something, right? but it doesn't stay there. Right? He doesn't allow himself to wallow in his personal thing, his personal experience, but instead his personal experience brings him to a place where instead of focusing on himself, he begins to see God. Right? He doesn't stay into a place where he's just focusing on David and David's thing and, oh God, how could you let this happen to me? But instead, his, his, his experience right, becomes this thing where, where it starts there, but, but the psalm moves really to this place where all of a sudden David is really talking about who God is and what God is doing. And for many of us, we're in this relationship with the Lord God. He saved us, right? And yet we still have this myopic view where everything is about us. God, why haven't you done this for me? God, why won't you do this for me? God, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. My life is not about me. My life is a vehicle through which God is able to declare who he is and what he's doing, right? As I spend time with him, as I engage the scriptures, the truth of who he is, as I walk in relationship with him, I become, you become, one who represents him in a vehicle through which he declares who he is to the world. Let's look at the pieces of this particular psalm. It begins this introduction. The word shigion, which is an interesting word, it's the only occurrence that we have of this word in the text, in the scriptures. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a related term, maybe, maybe, we don't really know, because this is the only term that we have shigion, right? It seems to be a musical term, right? I don't want to make more of it, but the, the word higion is used twice in the text. Uh, maybe that's related, maybe it's not, right? My Hebrew's not all that good. Um, I'm gonna refer to other people for that. But the term Hegion is a meditation, right? Oftentimes, my friend Bernie will stand up here and as he's getting ready to preach, he will quote, right? He will quote from Psalm 19, verse 14, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable 
be pleasing and acceptable to you. That, that idea of meditation is the word hegion, right? And so the thought might be that this is a meditative musical term, right? Or a murmuring that David is, is doing, right? And, and he sings this song concerning the words of Cush a Benjaminite. Well, we don't know who Cush a Benjaminite is, right? So there's speculation there, right? One speculation is that in 2 Samuel chapter 18, when David is dealing with Absalom, right, and the death of Absalom, he's told that Absalom dies, right, from a Cushite. Eh, Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. Right? Probably more, more likely is that David is preceded in the king, kingship of Israel by a man named Saul, who's a Benjaminite, right? Now, David loved Saul. David served Saul. David loved Saul's son, Jonathan, who's his best friend, right? But Saul grew angry with David, and so Saul pursued David, right? And the Benjaminites, they probably had beef with David because David becomes king. Now, we don't know that this is the accusations, the accusations we see here, right, that that Cush gives to David, right? Uh, We we see them in in verses three and four, or or four and five. If I've repaid evil, right, uh, my friend with evil, plundered my enemy with cause, you know, if, I've, if there's wrong in my hands, these, these, these are the accusations that, that this guy Cush gives. We just don't know who he is. But, but one could assume that the Benjaminites feel that David, who was brought into Saul's camp, who was given uh, places of preference by Saul and by Jonathan, they might have felt that that's what David did. Maybe. Maybe. Right? Because we don't know who Cush is, but he's a Benjaminite. Now, if that's the case then David is, is right to, to declare his innocence in this manner because it was the Lord God that, that plucked David from the, from the backfields of Jesse's home and anointed him to be king, right? David didn't have anything to do with that. It was the Lord God that, that brought David into a place of, of prominence in Israel and it was the Lord God that, that made him to be the shepherd of his people. Um, it wasn't that he connived and, and did anything to Saul. As a matter of fact, David, David strove to serve Saul. David strove to um, honor Saul. David strove to honor Saul's family even after Saul and Jonathan's death. We see that in his dealings with Mephibosheth. But, but anyway, that's all speculative. So what we see here is that there's a charge against David from this man, Cush, a Benjaminite, right? And so in verse one, David says this, O Lord, right? Speaking to the Lord personally, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge, right? I think this sets the tone for the entirety of the psalm, right? that David finds a true refuge and that refuge is found in his relationship with the Lord, right? That, that although he's being, he's the king, 
and he is having someone lay an accusation at him that rather than, rather than having a refuge in his, uh, in his power, in his position, rather than saying um, whoever this gentleman is, Cush, the Benjaminite, rather than just um, pushing him out, rather than just squashing him like a grape, rather than treating him uh, with disdain, David seeks refuge in the Lord, right? In a relationship with one who actually is greater than he is. Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. David has placed himself in God's hands. He has entrusted himself to the Lord for life, for judgment, and for salvation. Right? That is the place where David runs to. And for you and I, right, in relationship now, because of what Christ has accomplished through the cross and through the resurrection, that is the one and only place we can place our trust. It's the one and only refuge we have. Right? Now we're we're taught in our society to be self-sufficient right, to take care of yourself, to, to deal with your own issues, to deal with your own problems, right? And yet, I have but one refuge, and that is the Lord God. In spite of what people might say, in spite of what, what accusations uh, might be thrown my way, what might be thrown your way, in spite of what, my, what difficulties I may encounter in this life and what difficulties you might encounter in this life, whether they be uh, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever, I have but one refuge. And that refuge, that place where, where I, have, I have come in under and sought shelter, that place where I can, I can, I can cling to, right? And, and put my hope in is the Lord God. It's in a relationship with, right? The, the, the words David uses here, right? He uses the personal name of God. O Lord, O Yahweh, Elohim. O Lord, my God. Right? These are personal, these are, there's a personal, boom, relationship that he has. He's declaring something about God. You are my God. You are my refuge. And you do I take refuge. Save me. Deliver me. Lest a lion, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart. Verse three, oh Lord, my God, again, if I've done this, if I've done this, if I'm guilty, I'll take responsibility. All right? And so in the first five verses, we see David dealing with the accusations against him, but he does it not by fighting for himself, right? He does it by running to the Lord God. He knows he's innocent of this particular charge, right? And, and in this psalm, you're going to see David refer to his righteousness, and it's easy to maybe think that he's trusting in his own righteousness, but again, I think that Number one, we see him su- surrender himself to the Lord as his refuge, right? 
And even though he refers other times to his own righteousness and or his own integrity, I think that that's speaking to this particular charge because throughout the Psalms and throughout the, 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 the corpus of, of scripture, we see David acknowledge his sinfulness and his need for the Lord to restore him, right? So we're not seeing a man who is in any way um, self-righteous, a man who is um, uh, trusting in his own ability to be righteous in the eyes of God, but we see a man who is running to the Lord as his refuge, but who recognizes that at least in this particular instance, he hasn't done anything to these people. Um, In verses six through 11, we see um, that David has entrusted himself to a true and a righteous judge, right? That there's, that there's, he's gonna move from this personal thing, right? This, this personal thing, and he's gonna acknowledge the fact that he's gonna move from whatever Cush's charges against him, that he's done evil uh, in, in their sight and that he's repaid them ev- uh, good for evil or evil for good. Um, and, and he's actually gonna then begin to acknowledge that God himself, a true and righteous judge, has has been repaid um, evil for the good that he's done in the world. Listen to these verses. He says, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O Lord, O oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And you, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Right? There's a move here, where he begins by dealing with his enemies, but by the end of this, right, he begins by dealing with the personal, his enemies, but he, by the end, he's dealing with the universal, right, the wicked, right? So there's a move from this personal plea of God, deal with my situation, to really then taking his eyes off of that. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not still in his mind, but recognizing that that God is gonna judge not just the, the people he's dealing with, but he's gonna, deal, he's gonna judge the sin of the world. He's gonna judge the wicked. Arise, O Lord, in your anger, right? In verse seven, we see this interesting thing. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high, right? The ESV has that, 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 that back end say, over it, return on high. Other English translations talk about sitting in your seat, right? As if the Lord is sitting in a seat as a judge, right? And so he's acknowledging that the Lord is the one who um, has, has court as a judge and he sits assembled on high, right? And as I, as I read through that in my mind, right, it, it draws this line, right? Verse seven draws this line all the way to this point of exaltation where, where, where you know, he's exalting, saying that Christ 
has this exalted place, the Lord has this exalted place over the people, that the people are assembled around him and he is up on high and it draws this line, you know, from, from here to the cross where Christ is assembled over, right? Pronouncing both, both forgiveness and judgment, right? Forgiveness for his people and yet judgment over sin. And it continues to draw this line until we get to Revelation chapter four and five, which we sung about even this morning, right? Who is the one who is worthy to break open the, 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 the seals? Who is the one who's worthy to pronounce judgment over sin and over death? Who's the one who's worthy, right? It's Jesus, and it's Jesus alone who sits on the throne. It's Jesus, and it's Jesus alone who sits over the people, pronouncing judgment and judgment. Christ enthroned as a conquering king, worthy to judge the sin of the wicked while embracing the righteous who like David have declared in verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart, right? So there's this picture of what God is is promised to do here as he judges the sin of the world, right? Not just the personal situation that David is praying about, God, would you take care of my situation? But God, this is what you're gonna do, right? You are going to judge the sin of the world, And in doing that, in pronouncing judgment on sin, you're also at the same time going to provide a means by which your people will be redeemed and will be restored, right? And David makes that declaration clear. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And so we see this picture of God who is merciful and yet in his mercy and in his grace because he is holy, right? We said earlier, this is a a psalm about justice. And every time that someone is victimized, every time someone is, is wronged, every time someone is abused, every time someone is, um, uh, sinned against, I don't even like using that phrase that way, but every time someone is slighted, every time the the imago Dei, the image of God is slighted, right? That's injustice. And that person feels that, but God feels that. And he will judge that. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. The holiness of God. I was talking to a guy the other day, a guy who I love, a brother who has been in ministry for a long time, a guy I've done ministry with somewhere else in the world for years, who has found himself in a situation, in a sinful situation, just trying to help him see He doesn't see it yet, but trying to help him see how what he's done is not just a violation of a person, but a violation of the holiness of God. Like that's the the kicker for what he's done and why he needs to just go sit over here and be restored to the Lord. Not worry about ministry, but be restored 
to the Lord because he's violated the holiness of God. Right? He sees this, but he doesn't see this. God is a true and righteous judge. Right? And in judging sin, which is something we don't like to talk about in 2019, in the United States of America, in the West, we don't like to talk about the fact that our God is judging sin. But in judging sin, right, he is not only being gracious and kind and merciful, he is, he is actually declaring about himself who he is because he is a holy and a righteous God. Verses 12 and following give us this picture of the destructive way of sin. David says this, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. We'll come back to that in a minute. Behold, right? I want you to, I want you to see the pattern of sin, the unfolding nature of sin here. Look at it. Behold, verses 14 and following. The wicked man conceives evil, right? And is pregnant with mischief. So there's this process. There's a conception. There's a thought, Right? Hmm, I'd like that, right? It's David standing out on his balcony, taking a gander. Hmm, I'd like her, right? It's you or I having a thought. Hmm, I'd like that. But then there's activity, becomes pregnant with mischief, gives birth to lies. Like you see this this ongoing process here. It gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, right? Digging it out. He falls into the hole that he has made. And then his mischief, it returns onto his own head. And on his own skull, his violence descends. Right? At some point in your life, you have walked through this cycle. I can tell you probably dozens of times in my own life where I have walked through this cycle of just the way of sin. Where, where there's this moment of, hmm, of desire, a fleeting desire, but a desire nonetheless where it's like, mm, I'd like that. And then you just begin to walk down that way. And then after going down that way, you think, how did I get here? Why did I get here? As it just begins to crumble. Or maybe, maybe you're in the middle of that now and it hasn't yet begun to crumble and it still feels pretty good. And you think that this house that you've built, which is really a pit, but a house that you've built will stand. Right? The walls 
like these walls, the walls of this building, that look like they're solid but are really like styrofoamy. They haven't yet begun to fall. Sorry if you didn't know that yet. They haven't yet begun to crumble down upon you when you touch them. Don't touch them. Unless you'd like us to begin another building campaign, which we're ready to do at a moment's notice. The, fruit, the fruitlessness of the way of sin. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with over the last two decades and said, brother, sister, you are on a path of destruction. I can't stop you from it, but you are on a way of destruction. And how many of them have looked at me and said, I got it covered, don't worry about it. I got it, I got it, don't worry about it. It's good, it's good, it's good. Right, but like, they just look at you and they're like, I got it, I got it, don't worry about it, it's good. And yet God in his graciousness is providing a means of repentance. Look at, look at verse 12, he says, if men don't repent. So he's provided a means of repentance and we know what that means is. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. The grace of God poured out on his son. The blood of Christ, the perfect spotless lamb of God is the only means by which you and I can come to Jesus, or come to, come to, 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 to the Father, right? So there is a means of repentance if men don't repent. So there is a way of repentance that has been afforded to you and I, and it is Jesus the Son, and that's it. And God in his graciousness has provided that. And so if you are here today and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, I implore you to repent, to turn from sin and to embrace Jesus. Or if you are a brother or a sister and you have given in to the fruitlessness and the folly of sin to repent and to turn again to Jesus. All right? Because that house will crumble. It will crumble. It's like the house across the street that they keep trying to build. It's gonna crumble. Because if you don't, although he is gracious, guess what else my God is? He is ruthless when it comes to the judgment of sin. Because he is holy. This notion that my God is soft, that he wears a skirt, that he is just weak, Blow your nose of it, because it's not true. Read on. God will wet his sword. I don't even know what that means. I don't have a sword. But my God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. It's already bent. 
It's already ready. He's not in a hammock taking a nap, which is where I will be later this afternoon. He is ready. He has taken aim at sin. Now his son bore the wrath, the full wrath of God for the sin of of his people. Every ounce of it. And you do not have to earn his favor. You do not have to pay for your sin. Jesus has paid for it. But if you choose to do this on your own, the bow is ready. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Eh, that sounds horrible. But this is a psalm about justice. And what God is saying is that he takes his holiness so seriously that he provides a way for his people. That way is through his son. And his son, Jesus, bore on his body and through his blood the full wrath of God. But for those not covered in the blood of Christ, he will deal ruthlessly with the sin of the world. And that's that. Because he is a holy God and sin cannot stand in his presence. And then this brings his people, those who have been washed in the blood of the Son of God, which is, I know, oxymoronic. Washed in blood? Like, I get blood on my clothes and I'm doing everything I can to get it out. Generally, I just throw the thing out, to be honest with you. Like, I'm, I'm not that guy. <laughs> All right, sorry. Nope, there's blood, we throw that out. But if I were responsible, I'd be scrubbing. But I've been washed in blood. Because that's the economy of the kingdom of God. I've been bathed in it. And that brings me to this place where with David, I say, I give thanks to the Lord. (laughs) Thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Right? Because That's my only right response, is one of gratitude, one of praise, one of worship, one of adoration, one who joins with the people of God. I want to close by reading this. We sang this earlier today. I want to read it. Revelation 5, John writes this. Then I saw the right hand, and then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written with it, Within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw the mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. They began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Because that's the only response that we have. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped. The justice of the Lord will be poured out ultimately. But the justice of the Lord has been poured out for his people. And it was poured out on his son once and for all. People of the Lord, rejoice. 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 And if you are numbered among the people of the Lord and you do not yet take seriously that, repent and rejoice. And if you are not yet among the people of the Lord, I encourage you, I implore you to embrace Jesus. Because the bow is readied. And today may be the day. I pray that today is the day because if I have to watch the Houston Astros in the World Series, it will break my heart. But I implore you even more, embrace Jesus. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for what you have done. We thank you that what you have done is a demonstration of who you are. You are not like us. We do things because of how we feel. We do things because of what people have done to us. We do things because we are irrational. But you have acted 
as a demonstration of who you are. Holy, righteous, and yet in your holiness and in your righteousness, you have redeemed a people to declare to the world and to eternity that you are gracious and merciful and kind and wise and holy and righteous. And Lord, we are forever grateful to be numbered among those people. We're not worthy. We are not deserving. And yet, like David, we run into you, our refuge. We cling to you. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters today, that they would see you for who you are, a mighty refuge, a tower to run into, to cling to, to trust in, to never run out of, to never think for one second that they can walk on their own. Father, for those who have been cavalier, who have been flirting with the harlot, Lord, I pray that they would repent. And for those, Lord, who have yet to embrace Jesus, may today be the day of salvation. Glorify yourself in redeeming people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.